Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. Uh, the San Jose Mercury News identified uh, a number of individuals as uh, being involved in the drug trade and of having possible connections with the CIA, and we have proceeded to try to determine uh, what the evidence is and what the, what the facts are uh, on the allegation of use of funds to support the Contras. I would say that, uh, that all of this story, rather than about crack, is about crap. That's my crap. Yes. Rather than crack, is crap. That's the way I look at it. It's a preposterous, uh, unfounded, unfounded, mm -hmm. uh, ridiculous. Greetings, hushlings, hustronauts, and hushtillions. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour, where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike, and as always, we're joined by our shadowy CIA agent, Slick Frank Sanders. Hey, yo, Slick Frank Sanders here. Mike, Dave, good evening. Top of the morning. How good are evening. we doing, boys? Are we feeling loosey-goosey? Oh, goosey-loosey all day, baby. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You guys ready to run some drugs? Absolutely. I mean, it sounds illegal, but... That could be fun. Why don't you let Buster do a line of coke off your boner? <laughs> <laughs> In this edition, we will have an internal investigation of the CIA yet again and their involvement in trafficking drugs like cocaine, heroin, LSD, and other substances to urban U.S. communities, as well as the countries they were secretly operating and trafficking in. We look into some of the allegations, some clandestine and shady operations, the people that were involved in possibly one of the most massive topics of conspiratorial debate accusing the CIA. But before we cut in and get a little taste of the good white gold, be sure to check us out on all our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as always as well as our Discord, where we host the X-Files watch parties every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Very easy to find our Discord server. You can go to our website, and you can get the link over there. You can also play some video games with us on our Twitch. You can visit the official website for all things Hush Hush Society and find the links at www.hushhushsociety.com. There you can find all of our episodes from our debriefings just like this one, declassified discussions, cryptic chronicles, purchase some hush-hush apparel, read some news, and poke around at some new conspiracies in our juicy-ass blog section, and the ability to drop that ever-coveted review on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, wherever the hell you listen to podcasts. Give us five stars. Tell us we're awesome. Receive your official cloak in the mail and become a patron today. For just $5 a month, you can join the society as an official hushling. No blood sacrifice, no ritual involved, no strings, no gimmicks. Just $5. Maybe blood. 
maybe blood if you feel so inclined. And those cloaks are one size fit all. Yeah, and they're coming from Wish.com, so I mean, give it a while. (laughs) They barely fit over your head. (laughs) Well, over there, you'll get unlimited access to exclusive debriefings, which come out every third Thursday of the month. You can relax to cryptid erotica readings with myself. Mmm, feels nice. And... Monthly conspiratorial news in the Frong Factor with Slick Frong Sanders and Declassified Dave. As well as merch drops, giveaways, more news, and early episode release privileges. Join today at www.patreon.com forward slash hush hush society. We'd like to say hello to the Paranormal Network listeners. And if you're just joining in, strap in. The Hushlings know what's up. Hushlings, in other news, we hope you are enjoying your preceptors in hi-fi. You can find clips and other videos on our YouTube channel, which is now fully up to date. You can click the link on our website or search on YouTube for Hush Hush Society for all of that good stuff. Well, boys, it is the beginning of summer. Let's get the barbecue going and let's grill the Central Intelligence Agency. See what I did there? See what I did Fuck there? yeah, barbecues! Woo! Woo! Cracking a cold one? Let's just Society Conspiracy Hour is brought to you by Coors Light. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, jeez. Oh, mm. Side note, guys. We got hit with copyright infringement on 27 Club because whatever intro song we used, we didn't get copyright infringement for saying sponsored by Nike in Heaven's Gate. So well, that's a good, that was a win. We're, we're not on Nike's radar yet. That's why. Yeah, that's why. They're coming for us. Except they're coming for us with sponsorship offers. Hey, guys. Hell yeah. We heard you talking about cults. We're going to recreate some Nike decades just for the Hush Hush Society. How dope. How awesome would that be? Jeez, I don't even care how much they charge. They're going to pay us to wear them. All right. Let's begin with a quick breakdown of this entire scandal and or operation. What were the CIA supposedly trafficking throughout areas of the globe? Funny you ask. Crack cocaine and heroin for the most part. Yet there was definitely some good indicators that marijuana or cannabis was used in similar ways. That brick weed. (laughs) (laughs) I physically had to get that out. Come on, it's so fun picking out all the seeds. You know you love it. Isn't that like the bonus? You get the seeds and the stems so that you can grow your own brick weed? Yeah. I thought you meant the bonus so that when you're smoking, the little seed pops and give you a little jolt. I wouldn't ah. know anything about that. I don't do drugs. No, I learned all of this from Rick and Morty. I'm not a drugger and a <laughs> villainoid. These claims have led to investigations by the United States government, including hearings and reports by the House of Representatives, the Senate, Department of Justice, and the CIA's Office of the Inspector General. Now, guys, granted, we are only skimming the surface of this topic, and we probably should revisit it at some point, maybe season seven, but let's see what we can get through today. The history of the CIA and their shady operations are quite lengthy and extensive, so for us to get through it all in one episode will be very daunting. So let's, as Dave said, let's see. We begin our run in France. In 1937, illegal heroin labs were discovered near Marseille, 
Corsican gang leader Paul Carbone was in charge of these labs. For years, the Corsican underworld had been involved in the production and distribution of heroin, primarily in the United States. This heroin network became known as the French Connection over time. That won't go good in fondue, man. <laughs> Did you just make up a saying? <laughs> Is that new saying of the Hush Hush Society? That won't go good in fondue. Yeah. <laughs> that black tar won't do too well in fondue. <laughs> well, after World War II, the CIA and the SDECE, which is an external intelligence agency that operated in France from 1944 to 1982, protected the Corsican gang in exchange for their assistance in preventing French communists from seizing control of Marseille's old port. Mm. Also, on the 15th of August in 1951, Point Saint-Esprit experienced a poisoning outbreak characterized by acute psychotic episodes and a variety of physical symptoms. There were around 250 people involved, including 50 people who were detained in asylums and four deaths. Remember, we talked about that one in, was it MK Ultra? Yep. Way back yeah, in our it. second ever episode. That was pretty crazy because what was it supposed to be like? They claimed it was going to be like wheat fungus mm -hmm. or some type of mold poisoning. Which apparently is pretty common. Which was the same type of fungus or something similar that is derived into LSD, right? We talked about there was a doctor that created LSD in Switzerland. Yeah, and he went on his famous bicycle ride. Yeah, yeah. The majority of academic sources acknowledge naturally occurring ergot poisoning in rye flour as the origin of the epidemic, as we just kind of delved into. Although a minority speculate on other factors such as mercury or even the CIA drugging people with LSD in mass quantities. Well, that's probably what it was. You got to give them the benefit of the doubt. It definitely could have just been ergot poisoning, right? Could have been. Could have been. It's common, I guess, right? For, for sure. Probably not. It's not like the CIA would ever do anything like that. They would never poison people in mass. Why would they do that? During the period of geopolitical tension between the United States and the Soviet Union and the respective allies, also known as the Cold War, there was an operation called Operation Midnight Climax. And we also talked about this in our second ever debriefing. And we talked about it in depth. We poked. We poked. <laughs> Oh, yeah. How, how could we not get into depth on Midnight Climax, which in fact started in 1954. It consisted of a web of CIA-run safe houses in San Francisco. It was established in order to study the effects of LSD on non-consenting individuals. You see, prostitutes on the CIA payroll were tasked with luring clients back to the safe houses where they were unknowingly given substances, including LSD, and monitored behind one-way glass. Yeah. You guys remember talking about that during our MK Ultra episode. Kind of a creepy thing to think about this, like, Boston-based FBI, CIA operative, whatever he was, just sitting behind this glass in, like, a white wife beater, just feverishly masturbating, just going to town on himself. <laughs> <laughs> they had toilets back there too, right? Because yeah. they just had yeah. to stay there yeah. all night. Imagine how hot it had to be. 
because there were no windows in there. It was essentially just a glorified closet. It's a porta potty with a hole. <laughs> the prostitutes were instructed in the use of postcoital questioning. Sounds like me and my wife. To investigate whether the victims could be convinced <laughs> oh. to involuntarily reveal secrets. Sounds hot. Now, was it possible that they were possibly sponsored by Vaseline and or Kleenex? Ooh. More like Trojan. You're going to need a lot of Kleenex. <laughs> Trojan and Hanes wife beater undershirts. <laughs> Can you imagine just that, that guy that's in there? You said he was he was a Boston-based yeah. operative, right? One of the guys, and he's just sticking to the chair, and he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my I'm butt-ass <laughs> naked. Oh, my God, Bobby, I'm sticking to the chair. And you just hear, like, <laughs> as he gets oh, up. Just peeling away. He's just so fucking hot. <laughs> At some point, he has to get out of that room, and he busts into the hotel room, and this dude is, like, peeking on LSD, and somebody busts out of the wall butt naked, and he's from Boston. You're in San Francisco. You've never met a Bostonian in your life. You guys are just screaming at each other in the face. Nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. That would have been terrifying. Moving on to a headliner of the CIA's drug plots, the crack epidemic, which was the increase of crack cocaine consumption in major cities across the U.S., mostly during the early to late 1980s and the early 1990s. Now, the bulk of cocaine delivered to the U.S. in the early 1980s arrived in Miami, obviously, having originated in Colombia, which had been smuggled through the Bahamas and the Dominican Republic. African-American families were mostly concentrated in low-income inner-city neighborhoods at the time as a result of racial segregation and discriminatory activities by real estate brokers. This resulted in crack having a considerably greater impact on African-American communities than on other communities. Some shitty real estate brokers. There's also some other statistics. The homicide rate for African-American males aged 14 to 17 more than quadrupled between 1984 and 1989, while the homicide rate for males aged 18 to 24 nearly doubled as well. That's actually pretty staggering. And if you think about it, a lot of that has to do, obviously, with the introduction of crack cocaine into those neighborhoods, not only as consumers, but also as sellers and dealers. There's the old saying that crack kills, and it goes this both ways. This is very true. Looking at it, you can see the increase of gang activity also because then you have groups of people getting together, forming these gangs so that they can peddle the crack, so that they can have some sort of force and some sort of backing behind them to gain these territories to ultimately make more money off of the neighborhoods that they're dealing to. Introducing crack into these neighborhoods definitely perpetuated a lot more violence and a lot more messiness into those overall communities. Interestingly enough, as of 2014, the United States was the world's largest overall consumer of drugs. We're number one. <laughs> Figures. Yay. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. In my experiences, I see people on crack multiple times a day. You are super <laughs> lucky. And more than one. I mean, and you could see probably five or six in an hour if you're really lucky, depending on what neighborhood you're in. You need new roommates. The CIA's anti-drug unit accidentally sent a metric ton of cocaine into the United States from Venezuela in 1990 
as part of an operation to infiltrate and acquire evidence on drug organizations, according to the U.S. government, of course. Uh, how, quick question. How do you accidentally send a metric ton of cocaine into a neighborhood in the United States? So I hate to say it, but most things CIA related, I directly translate it to American Dad. And I don't know how familiar you are with the show, but it like it surrounds <laughs> this nuclear family and the father is a CIA agent. And he's got this like wicked, irresponsible boss supervisor guy who's like the head of the CIA. And that's totally something that he would say in one of the episodes like, oh, well, Stan, we accidentally sent a metric ton of crack cocaine to your neighborhood. You have to take care of it. <laughs> I think that's something that that could happen. And Probably not. They might write it off that way. That cocaine would eventually go on to be sold in the streets. That's another thing. Why would the CIA just let their drugs accidentally be taken away and sold in the streets? Anyways, although no criminal charges were brought in this case, CIA officer Mark McFarlane resigned. Good for him. The officer was disciplined. According to the CIA, there was poor judgment and management on the part of several CIA officers in the incident. I would say so. No shit. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> Here's the thing. The CIA's anti-drug unit has drugs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got to fight fire with fire. Well, yeah, you need bait, right? You know, so. But still, the anti-drug unit creating a drug problem. Yeah. Yeah. Quote, accidentally. Don't forget the accidental part. It's just like leaving your debit card at a restaurant. It's just super easy, super small. You know, we just left a fucking pallet of cocaine <laughs> in the middle of Inglewood in L.A. and everybody just ran to it. <laughs> so at the time, obviously, people knew what crack cocaine was or knew what cocaine was. How much crack usage was happening during the 80s? There was a lot, right? I would imagine, yeah. I have a question. I've never done cocaine or crack. So why is crack cocaine lumped in the same thing? Is it the same thing, just in a different form? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so crack is cocaine cooked down with additives to make it smokable, and mm -hmm. it's a stronger, shorter high. So essentially by cooking it into crack, you increase profits and you get people more addictive because the high is shorter. Can't you inject crack? Uh, yes. Yes, you can. This is just the slippery slope to heroin. I think once you're at the point where you're smoking crack or you're even searching for crack, uh, the slope is no more. You're you're at the bottom. <laughs> there the is no slope. <laughs> Must be a hell of a drug because everybody's on it. I've heard it's great. It's cheap, too. You don't even need to buy paraphernalia. All you need is, like, tinfoil and a lighter. DEA field agent Hector Bareles stated during a PBS Frontline investigation, I believe that elements working for the CIA were involved in bringing drugs into the country. I know specifically that some of the CIA contract workers, meaning some of the pilots, in fact were bringing drugs into the U.S., and landing some of these drugs in government air bases. And I know so because I was told by some of these pilots that, in fact, they had done that. Source, trust me, bro. That's solid evidence. Dude, 
dude, I dropped this pallet off at Vandenberg Air Force <laughs> Base, man. It was just all heroin, bro. What are the military doing with heroin? Who fucking knows, man? <laughs> Back to the Dominican. Like <laughs> It's always that it's always that weird white guy in a James Bond movie wearing a Hawaiian shirt that brings you in a Cessna to the Dominican Republic or Puerto Rico. Why's it gotta be Puerto Rico? Puerto Rico has nothing to do with this. Why's it gotta be yeah. a white guy? Why's it gotta be a Cessna? It's always a white guy. Why's it gotta be James Bond? Yeah, why okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> You caught me up against the wall there. You just hit me with every why's it gotta be. This gets us to the country of Venezuela. It starts with a plot in 1993 to help an undercover agent acquire the trust of a Colombian drug gang. The plan called for an unregulated shipping. The plan called for the unregulated shipping of hundreds of pounds of cocaine from Venezuela, provided by a Venezuelan anti-drug squad that was collaborating with the CIA and utilizing cocaine captured in Venezuela. Ah, so what we were just saying, where you keep a stockpile of cocaine to use in later operations to trap people, pretty much. The shipments took place despite the objections of the USDEA. When the failed plan came to light, the CIA officer in charge of the operation resigned. It's always a resignation. And his supervisor was transferred. Let's continue our journey through Central America. The United States Committee on Foreign Relations launched an investigation into drug trafficking from Central America and South America, as well as the Caribbean to the United States back in 1986. The investigation was led by the Subcommittee on Terrorism, Narcotics, and Internal Operations, which was chaired by Senator John Kerry, and its final report in 1989 was known as the Kerry Committee Report. Real original. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good thinking. They're never good at naming these things. <laughs> Gotta name a report, name it after yourself. <laughs> Masturbatory. The report is quoted, it is clear that individuals who provided support for the Contras were involved in drug trafficking. The Contras supply network was used by drug trafficking organizations and elements of the Contras themselves knowingly received financial and material assistance from drug traffickers. That's where you get the term contraband from, huh? Ooh. In 1996, we meet a very important person when it comes to the CIA drug trafficking story. Gary Webb wrote a series of articles that investigated Nicaraguans linked to the CIA-backed Contras who had smuggled cocaine into the U.S. They then distributed crack cocaine into Los Angeles and funneled profits to the Contras, as we mentioned before. Man, that's, that's genius. Sell the drugs, man. His articles asserted that the CIA was aware of the cocaine transactions and the large shipments of drugs into the U.S. by the Contra personnel, and directly aided drug dealers to raise money for the Contras. So that's kind of like selling drugs to support, in lesser terms, terrorism, right? In the 80s and 90s, it probably still was pretty a pretty big industry, but what's the largest industry in the United States right now? prisons mm, right now i would say pharmaceuticals medical yeah. industry pharmaceuticals yeah. definitely think about all the people that were locked up in the 80s and 90s for selling crack cocaine are probably still in prison if you're bringing it to these neighborhoods then it's a way to essentially bring the drugs in 
they either kill each other, die from drug overdoses, or we lock them up. So it's just getting people off the street that they don't want there. You're eradicating a group of people because of an accidental shipment that was purposely dropped. That's winning on all fronts for whoever is writing the book. This was during the time of Ronald Reagan that the introduction Mm -hmm. of crack cocaine into neighborhoods is happening. And it's pretty well known that Ronald Reagan was very racist against African-Americans. So how much of his involvement into this is playing a part? Kind of a joint operation between the office of the president, the CIA, the FBI, other law enforcement, DEA. So how deep does that really run? We kind of focus on the CIA because they were the pushers at the time. They were the providers at the time. But there's got to be some sort of chain of command unless it stays within the CIA like most things do. But I would imagine that Reagan definitely had his hands in some of this at least. I didn't know that he was racist like that. Making that point, I wouldn't put it past him. The fact of endangering these communities with drop shipments of crack cocaine from the sky to literally just tear them apart. Here's my other thought on it. It's something that we talked about kind of earlier was that cocaine needs to be processed into crack. Now, when shipments are coming in from South America and wherever they're coming from, Central America, they're being brought in as pure product. They're bringing this stuff in as cocaine. Now, at what point is it being processed into crack? Probably at the the higher drug dealer level. Yeah, the the distributor, distributor, yeah. But as we said before, that shipment was dropped already in the form of crack cocaine. So the CIA was turning it into crack to stretch their money and inflict as much damage as they possibly could without giving them even the slightest benefit of being able to make a buck off of it. I mean, obviously people made money off of it, but not as much as they would if it was just pure cocaine being dropped. It was just immediate damage. That had to be done in the States, obviously to be turned into crack. Yeah. The shipment that they dropped into the hood was already crack. Mm -hmm. Venezuela doesn't ship out crack. No, South America and Central America doesn't ship out crack. Crack's an American drug. (laughs) Crack's an American (laughs) drug. So that, that brings up the point. Who transformed this cocaine into crack? CIA. Somebody did along the line, along that shipment line. They must have had to buy so much Arm & Hammer baking soda. <laughs> Imagine. Or what it would they use? Uh, powdered milk? Powdered dairy creamer? Not saying that I know how crack is made, but... No, no. No. <laughs> Join us next week for Mystery Mike's recipe on crack. <laughs> to start a whole drug manufacturing segment. <laughs> The Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, and the Washington Post launched their own investigations on Webb's allegations, and they rejected them. They were probably paid off. Wouldn't be the first time. Webb later published a book based on the series of writings he called Dark Alliance, the CIA, the Contras, and the Crack Cocaine Explosion. It's a good title. Yeah, I want to buy it. 
I think I'd I'm love gonna buy to have it. that book. Hell yeah. Yeah. You already have Dark Fleet. You might as well get Dark Alliance, right? Might as well. Nazis and crack. Dude, my... <clears throat> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> my conspiracy bookshelf is growing, and I can't keep up with the reading. <laughs> it's very much my fault, because I spend a lot of time doing other things than reading, but I need to catch up. Let's just say that. I'm like five books behind. Books are good to have. Yeah, you don't have to read them. You just got to have them. Webb stated in the book, in the 1980s, when the CIA exerted a certain amount of control over Contra groups, such as the Nicaraguan Democratic Force, as well as the DEA, they granted pardons to and put on the agency's payroll, in which important Contra supporters and fundraisers were known by the U.S. government to be cocaine smugglers. So that's one step further into it. The CIA not only was buying these drugs, dispersing these drugs, altering these drugs, possibly, uh, but supporting the drug dealers, the drug smugglers, and getting them out of trouble, pretty much, so that they could continue to process cocaine in which they could sell and distribute more. It's just a theory, though, right? It's just a theory. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's just an <laughs> allegation. No big deal. According to several conspiracy theories, the CIA used Mena Intermountain Municipal Airport to smuggle weapons and ammunition to the Contras in Nicaragua, as well as drugs back into the United States. Some theories even implicate political figures such as Oliver North and former President George H.W. Bush, even good old Bill Clinton. Where do you think Bill got all those good cigars from, man? The CIA's own self-investigation, which was overseen by the CIA's Inspector General, he said the CIA had no involvement in or knowledge of any illegal activities that may have occurred in MENA. How convenient. I really think that it should be against the law to investigate yourself as a group yeah. or as an organization. It seems like a conflict of interest, for sure. Massively, <laughs> massively. That's when you come into the whole, well, this is classified information. You can't have that because it's classified information. So who's going to investigate and get the clearance to go after the CIA other than the CIA? We have... A federal bureau of investigation, though, and I'm not saying that would be much better to have them look into it, but at least it's not the CIA looking into the CIA's dirtiness. You've got a whole different organization coming in and looking from the outside. Again, it's all one big cesspool of dirtiness, but still, it's a different organization. They could have went that route with it. Didn't this happen in 9-11, too, during the hearings? Where the FBI investigated themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the best loophole in the American government. Yeah, just investigate yourself. That's how these organizations get away with what they get away with. They just say, oh, a supervisor looked over our paperwork and determined that we did nothing wrong. It's like a fantasy world. The published report said the agency conducted a training exercise at the airport in collaboration with another federal agency. And companies located at the airport provided, quote, Routine aviation-related services on equipment owned by the CIA. Oh, just like the flares in San Diego the other day. Hushlings. 
We will return after these brief messages. Greetings, Hushtillians. Grab your EMF readers, your flashlights, and your wits as you accompany the boys on an expedition to some of the world's most infamous ghost towns and abandoned places. We travel to the desolate expanses of America's West, to British Columbia, then to the forests of the Appalachian Mountains, and onward to Europe, and finally, the Far East. Join the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour on Monday, July 25th, for debriefing 53 Ghost Towns. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Juan Mata Ballesteros, a Honduran drug lord, owned Setco, an airline used by the Nicaraguan Contras to transport military supplies and personnel in the early 1980s. This drug lord owned a whole airline, dude. How baller. Well, when the CIA is paying for your drugs, you know, you got enough money to buy an entire fleet of planes that's so dope that's some grand theft auto stuff right there dude can you guys imagine doing a hush hush <laughs> airlines no i couldn't even imagine that no maybe the cia should reach out to us <laughs> that'd be great i'll push as much crack as they need me to <laughs> writers peter dale scott and jonathan marshall said the united states government's desire to conceal or protect these strange shipments led to close the DEA office in Honduras where an investigation into Setco began, that airline that the drug lord owned, allowing Mata Ballesteros to continue and expand his trafficking. Keep it moving. Something like that. I don't know. It looks, looks messy. It does. It gets even messier. Let's travel a little north to Mexico. Two former federal agents and an ex-CIA contractor told an American television network in October of 2013 that CIA operatives were involved in the kidnapping and murder of DEA covert agent Enrique Camarena because he posed a threat to the agency's drug operations in Mexico. According to the three men, the CIA was collaborating with drug traffickers to transport cocaine and marijuana to the United States and using a portion of the profits to fund Nicaraguan Contra rebels attempting to destabilize Nicaragua's Sandinista government. The relationship between the CIA and the Contra is pretty long going at this point, and it seems like they're going very much out of their way to keep them out of trouble and to keep them running as business as usual. It seems more of a political thing, though in those countries like they're doing it to hold certain groups or governments at bay by allowing these major organizations that are drug organizations the contras to operate it's pretty mm. much superseding the government because a lot of these countries i mean probably in the 80s and 90s their governments were probably not the strongest that's why you had rebels and militia and different groups of people that were trying to just pretty much run the shit just to break it down a little bit, what we're saying is the Contras supplied the drugs, the CIA used the drug profits to fund the rebels, and then the rebels overthrew Nicaragua's government? Am I getting that right? The Contras were being used to destabilize the governments. 
So it's just sort of an I scratch your back, you scratch mine sort of deal. Yeah, and also a long roundabout way of supporting a group to destabilize a South American government. To really look at the war on drugs and how it was such a political ploy for elections and identical to what we're dealing with now when you're talking about certain things where you have one president-elect that's saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and seems to be executed at a very high level and a very discreet level, but, but an accidental level. The CIA had the plan to destabilize the Nicaraguan government to also go and destroy the financial backings of European countries that were invested in South America, especially in Nicaragua. Okay. Shady business, man. Because everybody was looking for Nicaragua's natural resources. Europe had kind of jumped on that. The only way that America could jump on the wagon and take over those natural resources was to get rid of the existing government, which gets rid of the existing contracts with the European countries that are in business with them. Dirty as usual. And if they're in bed with the Contras, they're making money. In response to the allegation, a CIA spokesman called it, quote, ridiculous to suggest that the agency was involved in the murder of a U.S. federal agent or the escape of his alleged killer. I'm calling bullshit on that. Yes. In 1989, the United States invaded Panama as part of Operation Just Cause, which involved 25,000 American troops. General Manuel Noriega, head of Panama's government, had been giving military assistance to Contra groups in Nicaragua at the request of the U.S. What a relationship. Which in exchange allowed him to continue his drug trafficking activities, which they had known about ever since the 1960s. Shit. Yeah. So not only are the CIA getting involved in their own drug operations here on American soil, but they're also helping well-known drug dealers and drug smugglers and drug producers in South America continue to do their job to obviously supply them, but to keep that drug trade going on and on and on. It's like a really dirty circle of life. (laughs) Frank and I were talking earlier before we... uh jumped on he asked is this where they got the video game just cause from i'm definitely looking for an answer to that because i never really got into the just cause video games i played like just cause 4 but i didn't really get into the story of it but i feel like those take place in some sort of south american country i feel like they do too i don't think i've played any of them honestly but nicaragua's got a lot to do with all of this especially in Central and South America. They seem to come up any other country that we talk about, Mexico, Venezuela, Honduras, they seem to pop up Mm -hmm. everywhere. Part of that small sliver of land in between South America and Mexico, that's a route to get into the United States if you're not using planes or boats. Or their operation was just fucking huge. Could have been that too. That could be it. They could just sit at the top of this food chain and by being so high up, they're just sprinkled throughout all of the business operations. Well, Nicaragua especially, like we said before, has natural resources and a couple of those natural resources obviously being gold and silver. 
and gold was mined pretty aggressively throughout the 70s and 80s in Nicaragua, it could possibly be a reason as to why the CIA was so hard struck to go after Nicaragua and take it as land of their own. Well, so the same reason why we did Desert Storm. Get the oil fields. It's a thing that you can kind of trace back to any war that we've ever had. What is the real reason that we went to war for in any country? Money. I would say post-World War II, obviously. Yeah, World War II, I think, would different. be an exception. But going into different countries that we've started wars with, especially in Desert Storm, you had poppy fields that were being taken over. And the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan in the 2000s, more poppy fields. Definitely. Oh, that was definitely opium. Yeah. It always boils down to something that we want to get out of these places and out of these people. I think you could pretty much trace most of our wars or conflicts or anything in the news cycle nowadays to being in places where we want something from them. No, dude, stop. It's definitely to stop the spread of communism. <laughs> I don't think money had anything to do with it. We were just fighting communism this whole entire time. Don't be fooled. Yeah. Just like Hitler was trying to stop communism by killing Jews, right? <laughs> <laughs> when the DEA tried to indict Noriega in 1971, the CIA prevented them from doing so. They're just looking out for their boy. The CIA, which was then directed by future president, George H.W. Bush provided Noriega with hundreds of thousands of dollars per year as payment for his work in Latin America. What work? Oh, you know. He was mining gold? <laughs> ah, powdery, sniffy gold? Why does it seem like George Bush was into some shady shit before he became president? Because he fucking was. Why does it seem like he became president because he was into some super shady shit? Do you know he doesn't remember where he was when President JFK was killed? What do you mean his brain's missing? Who was in the 80s, right? <laughs> what do you mean he's dead? When CIA pilot Eugene Hazenfuss was shot down over Nicaragua by the Sandinistas government, Documents aboard the plane revealed many of the CIA's activities in Latin America, and the CIA's connections with Noriega became a public relations liability for the U.S. government, which finally allowed the DEA to indict him for drug trafficking after decades of allowing his drug operations to proceed unchecked. You think they would be smarter than to leave a bunch of those documents just like <laughs> laying on a plane. Was the DEA the angel on the shoulder of the U.S. government and the CIA is the devil? And the FBI is the useless fucking flaccid penis of a 94-year-old man? <laughs> the sole purpose of Operation Just Cause was to capture Noriega and push the former Panamanian leader into the Papal Nuncia, where he surrendered to U.S. authorities. His trial took place in Miami, where he was sentenced to 45 years in prison. Seems... seems reasonable. That's a reasonable amount of time for a drug trafficker, world-renowned. Yeah. As CIA director in the mid-1970s and Ronald Reagan's vice president, Bush helped shape a world of strongmen, wars, cartels, and migrants that still exist today. Good job, Bush. 
We're talking a lot about the relationship between the U.S. government and the CIA with South America and Central America. But don't forget that the CIA also had a very strong relationship throughout the 90s, especially with drug cartels in Mexico. The CIA's kind of got their fingers dipped in a bunch of different uh, honeypots. Where where did it fall apart? Is this still happening? Where do you think cocaine is coming from? It's not being made in America. Is it still under the CIA's influence, or is it just cocaine producers trying to make a buck in America? I would say that a lot of that is still being guided by the CIA or other governmental entities but i don't know the existence of like cartels and a lot of other things are kind of questionable which makes me believe that the cia is still very much heavily involved it's a tough one Uh, it's a uh tough one i think it's a good mix of people out there trying to make a lot of money off of selling drugs but also the u.s government half allowing that to happen well, yeah, there's money to be made in drugs being dispersed in our country. Bush was particularly involved in the events that became known as the Iran-Contra controversy, which was a series of illicit activities that began with a covert effort to supply Contra rebels in Nicaragua in order to destabilize the said Marxist government. This attempt was linked to drug trafficking, the exchange of weapons for hostages with Iran, Mm. and financial issues. They were selling drugs and weapons, or trading or whatever, drugs and weapons to Iran and Nicaragua in a love triangle? They were getting (laughs) the drugs from Nicaragua, bringing them to the U.S. to sell them, taking the profited money sending it back to the Nicaraguan rebels who were then destabilizing the Nicaraguan government to destabilize the financial markets of Europe so that America could move in and then taking the money and trading it for weapons to trade for hostages with Iran. Did you get all that? Jesus. Are you guys picking up on the irony here? that European settlers came to the Americas to rape the Americas to go back and rape Europe hundreds and hundreds of years later. Stick it to the crown. Well, now that we're in the Middle East, let's travel to Afghanistan, guys. Here's a beautiful country. I hear the mountain ranges are really nice. I got a friend that was in Afghanistan for maybe two years solid, and uh, he said it was probably one of the prettiest places in the world besides having bullets whiz by your head. Ahmed Wali Kazari, the brother of Afghanistan's elected president, Hamid Kazari, he was on the CIA's payroll for eight years prior to October of 2009. He also is accused of being involved in Middle Eastern opium trafficking. And we've all heard of those fields. Now, really quick, eight years prior to October 2009... That lands pretty close to September yep. 11th, 2001. Yep. That's a coincidence, bro. Just a coincidence. Doesn't mean nothing, bro. That's something that we mentioned is the protection of poppy fields. It goes hand in hand. Why else would we go and invade countries that had nothing to do with the actual terrorist attack on 9-11? 
after having the crack epidemic in the 80s and 90s. Now look at the, the 2000s and the 2010s. Yeah. I mean, the heroin. It makes me wonder what governments they're trying to destabilize now or what their aim is now. So when you move away from the relationship that you had with Nicaragua and Noriega and all those different people of South America and Central America, and you start moving to the Middle East, and now you're moving into heroin, what are really the moves? What are you using that heroin money for? Or what are you using those poppy fields for? Where is all that money now being funneled into? Is there rebels in another country? The Green New Deal. According to Alfred McCoy, the CIA encouraged heroin manufacturing in Afghanistan for decades to fund activities aimed at preventing communism's expansion. Why is it always communism? Why are we so worried about communism? We're so worried about communism. Mm -hmm. It's right here. It's in front of you. We have washed down communism in our own country, so I don't know what the issue is with chasing after it wild goose chase for communism the golden egg that we need to protect recent operations have been accused of attempting to limit the spread of the islamic state in afghanistan southeast asia central america and colombia mccoy alleges that the cia protects and incentivizes local warlords to become drug lords and that the cia is implicated in the global drug trade according to one of his books the CIA supplied trucks and mules that had carried arms into Afghanistan that were used to transport opium to laboratories along the Afghan-Pakistan border. The output provided up to one half of the heroin used annually in the United States. In 1993, an official of the DEA dubbed Afghanistan the new Colombia of the drug world. Wow. But shouldn't it be the new Nicaragua, realistically? Well, they weren't producing heroin. Yeah. Well, was Colombia? I think South America is the white gold shit. Moving on to another region, we have something called the Golden Triangle, if you haven't heard of it. In the 1950s, the Nationalist Chinese Army, organized by the CIA, was to wage war against communist China. Again, communist. And it became an opium baron of the parts of Burma, Thailand, and Laos and also became the world's largest source of opium and heroin. During the U.S. military involvement in Laos and other parts of Indochina throughout the 60s and 70s, Air America flew opium and heroin throughout the area. Mm. Uh, we'd like to welcome you to American Airlines. It's just all the seats are filled with bricks. The pilot is still talking anyway, though. Yeah, put your tray tables up. Interesting little fact, Air America is said to be the CIA operated airline. So it's not an airline that mm. is privately owned. It's an airline that is owned and operated by the CIA in order to traffic these drugs. Do you think North Korea might end up if it hasn't already playing a role in some of these crazy ass drug wars? I mean, cause if you go back, it's, it's communism, 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 communism. That's the mask that this drug war wears, mm -hmm. communism. When you look at our communist enemies at the time, who else do you have left playing on the field? Oh, yeah. Well, the Korean War was in the 50s. And we played a huge part in that, too. Let's not ignore the fact that there was the military involvement in Laos 
during the 60s and 70s, which also was the time frame for the Vietnam War. And during that, there were tons of GIs that were becoming addicts because of the heroin movement. There was a laboratory at CIA headquarters in northern Laos that was used to refine heroin. Hmm. Why does Why? the CIA have uh, a room where they're refining heroin yeah. if they're not drug trafficking? After a decade of American military intervention, Southeast Asia had become the source of 70% of the world's illicit opium and the major supplier of raw materials for America's booming heroin market. 70%. Wow. You guys ever had opium? I've heard good things, but no. Yeah. Yes. Me and a friend used to dip joints in opium. Did it make your dick fly off? Like, was, what happened? Did all of your fingernails disintegrate? It uh, it elevated the marijuana, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? I mean, we bought it from some guy behind a Cumberland farm. Isn't America amazing? What a place it to is, be. It is, it is. We also have the notable mention of Freeway Rick Ross, who was never publicly prosecuted for the huge drug empire that he presided over in L.A. That all took place during the mid-1980s. A 1987 case pursued by the Freeway Ricky task force was dismissed by a local court for police misconduct, and the federal case against Ross was closed when deputies involved were accused of corruption. What is with the fucking names? The Freeway Ricky Task Force. <laughs> Dude, like, come on, guys. Do you think Rick Ross is still dealing drugs? Probably not, but I'm sure he's got the spoils of his drug kingpin life. Because between 1986 and 1990, a number of other jurisdictions investigated Ross's activities. But none were successful. And in October of 1986... Ross was eventually arrested on federal charges in Los Angeles for conspiracy to distribute cocaine in St. Louis. The case was later dismissed for lack of evidence. He also had charges against him for selling his supply in Cincinnati, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Los Angeles, parts of Texas. There were other states involved as well. This guy sold his drugs everywhere. And funny enough, he tried to sue rapper Rick Ross in the mid-2000s and ultimately lost in 2013 for his name. So the rapper, whose name is not, in fact, Rick Ross, legally, stole his name and won the case. Ross was probably on CIA payroll, right? To have established a massive empire like that on U.S. soil. And not get caught? And just keep getting away with it. I think he was working hand in hand with the Contras and the CIA. I watched a documentary of him where they were asking him, what was the most money you've made in one day? And he, without question, $3 million. In one day? Yeah. He had to have been on somebody's payroll. Because you would imagine somebody that large in the drug dealing game is being watched by multiple organizations. And if the CIA is involved, they're using him as an asset at that point. Because if he's moving that much weight and he's dealing that much drugs and he is a drug kingpin, why not use him for distribution in the United States with all his 
already developed network going. So it would be smart if, obviously, if the CIA is trying to further distribute these drugs throughout the United States, you have a huge drug dealer living and working out of L.A., but his reach is nationwide. He's the perfect asset for the CIA to go after and to have on their payroll. And I'm sure the DEA was looking at him, too, and the CIA was like, yeah, yeah, no, no. Maxine Waters is an American politician serving as the U.S. representative for California's 43rd congressional district since 1991. Waters demanded an inquiry into the 1980s crack epidemic in Los Angeles. She wanted to know if, quote, the U.S. government hired or organized operators, smuggled, transported, and sold it to American individuals. The Department of Justice declared that it had found no evidence to support the original story. Members of the committee received testimony about the charges that the CIA promoted the introduction and spread of crack cocaine in American cities in order to fund Contra activities in Nicaragua. So they just threw it out. This whole entire hearing is on YouTube. You can watch the entire thing. At what point? Does the CIA just turn around and say, yeah, we did this? The evidence is so mounting against them and in support of them pretty much creating the crack epidemic and creating the large portion of the drug problem in America today. Okay, but who's going to go after them? But that's what I'm saying. If the CIA came out tomorrow saying that they knew about the drug operations, they were in charge of the drug operations, and they did do all these things, and they funded the Contras, and they funded this person or that person, and this leader and that leader. Nobody's going to go after them. It's the same thing that happened with 9-11. They said their piece, and nothing changed. They won't just come out and say it, even though it's already public knowledge. And anything conspiratorial along the lines of the CIA you've seen what happens when people dig into that sort of thing when you try to get them to fess up for it when you try to catch them in one of their schemes all of a sudden you're in a sick car open top (laughs) with your wife and your brain goes missing nobody's asking questions it's public knowledge and they're not going to admit to it they're not going to fess up they won't take responsibility ever well gentlemen That was page one of 366 of research. (laughs) Hushling, stay tuned. (laughs) For the next 96 hours. Yeah. For the next 60 episodes, CIA drug trafficking. This brings us to Reddit. We do a Reddit segment and look up some juicy stuff every episode. And we try to find just interesting tidbits. The first one. It was a guy named Michael Levine, and he said in a 1998 interview, mind you, this hearing was in 1998 as well. He said, quote, as an ex-DEA agent, I found the complete lack of coverage by mainstream media of what I saw last night during the congressional hearings into the CIA drug trafficking on CNN is both depressing and frightening. Well, yeah, the CIA also owns and operates the mainstream media that's interesting that that was happening back in the 90s like it's much more prevalent now the whole 
not censorship, but choosing not to cover important things. I didn't know that that was happening back then. It's probably been happening forever. Probably actually more so in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Because that's before the invention of the internet. So where are people Mm. getting the sources of their information? They're getting it from the news. They're getting it from television. They're getting it from radio. So if all that's being controlled by the CIA and the narrative is being formed by the CIA, nobody knows any different. Obviously, Mm. with the invent of the Internet and what the Internet has become today, there's a lot more sources for information. So it's a little harder to control that narrative. But... It's still very prevalent. They obviously own websites. They have their hands in social media and everything that you touch. So they do have a little bit of control still. But I think, like I said, with the internet, I think it's kind of cracked open. So it's harder for them to control. But they still do it. The evening news is still all scripted. Every single station out there is getting the same script. Say this about what happened. Don't talk about this. You see that one video where it takes like 30 or 40 different news stations Mm -hmm. and they all like link them up together and it says something about this is a danger to our democracy. It's like the same line. Yeah. I love that clip. I love that. Mr. Levine continues. He said, I sat gate mouthed as I heard the CIA inspector general testify that there has existed a secret agreement between CIA and the Justice Department. Wherein during the years of 1982 to 1995, the CIA did not have to report the drug trafficking its assets did to the Justice Department. Hmm. That's very interesting. Isn't that wild? So they did kind of admit to it. They definitely admitted to it. They just said, oh, we didn't have to report this. They admitted without admitting. The CIA also had collaborated with news outlets and newspapers to smear the Dark Alliance book by Gary Webb. For example, the New York Daily News, the Baltimore Sun, the Weekly Standard, and the Washington Post were supplied with material quote, these more balanced stories, and the Washington Post proved particularly useful. Yeah, there's still a crock of shit. I think that is going to bring us into our final thoughts, boys. This is where we each give a brief final thought on whatever our topic is, this week being CIA drug trafficking. Declassified Dave, tell us what you think about the CIA smuggling some dope. It happened. It's probably still happening. And after page one of 366 of research, uh, I'm realizing that this has been a very elaborate plan that these guys have done, but messy at the same time. Maybe it was on purpose. Maybe it wasn't. But clearly the CIA has been involved in many, many countries and including our own in the trade of if not production of things like heroin and crack cocaine and LSD I think this is a very real thing they got caught in 98 but nothing came of it and nothing's gonna come of it Hmm. because they are the shadowiest shadow government and they killed JFK (laughs) those are my final thoughts I will say that the CIA has been drug trafficking for a long while as we have seen 
I do think that they continue to do it to this day. I think that they are kind of in a, a black budget, if you will, supported by their drug running and their drug trafficking. They have been proven to support and protect drug traffickers throughout the decades. Uh, they've been involved with these people. They have helped these people and they have kept them running. And this is all in attempts to overthrow governments, to do whatever they feel is necessary with the funds that they don't have to report to anyone. I would love to do another part to this because, as Dave said, there is a ton of research and a ton of examples, and it is just piles and piles. Our boy, Slick Frank Sanders, give us your final thoughts on CIA drug trafficking. Frog's final thought. Absolutely. Well, as you guys both said, it's undeniable that everything that we talked about had happened. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. It's kind of astonishing that they got away with it for decades and decades and decades with very minimal resistance and that these things are still probably taking place, if I had to guess, probably with heroin mostly at the time. When it comes to us elaborating on this subject, I'd love to see where this could possibly go with Charlie Manson and a little bit more of the psychedelicness of the 70s and what the CIA's role played in all of that. More importantly, like you mentioned earlier in the episode, Mike, I just want to see where all of this goes for the future, what the plans are for all of that, because back in the 60s, they probably had plans for the 90s, and back in the 90s, they probably had plans for the mid-2000s, and so on and so forth. How early were they planning for how far in the future, and where could this all go with the CIA drug trafficking? And how much more can they possibly get away with without repercussion? Yeah, as far as repercussions, I would say the only real repercussions that they ever have is somebody just resigns. Instead of anyone taking any blame or going to jail or anything like that, they just say, oh, I think it's time for me to leave the CIA. I think it's time for me to leave my seat and be on my way. And that's how they make their getaway. And then the next person steps up and does the next thing and so on and so forth. It's just a perpetual line of yes men and a perpetual line of people that are going to just resign from their posts. Or they got whacked. People that oppose the word of the, the good word of the higher ups. Yeah, they got whacked. That was my question about the CIA, though. Is there a known understanding from other government organizations like the DEA or like the NSA or even just people at the Pentagon knowing that if you fuck with the CIA, you might end up dead? I think it's pretty well known. Just like uh, it's pretty yeah. well known that if you talk about Hillary Clinton, I mean pizza, hot dogs. Guys, one more thing before we close this out. Let's not forget Gary Webb. Gary Webb went on to expose all of this and he quote committed suicide with two bullets to his head <laughs> oh i didn't know guns worked that way yeah it is possible the coroner did say that he shot through his face with the first hit and then the second one okay, made its okay. mark but 
do we believe that? I don't know. There's been plenty of bodies with know. two in the back of the head. We did find a CIA manual or handbook, I believe we talked about previously, where it said there was methods of killing people, and one of them was dropping out of a window. So, Well, that's going to conclude our bender on the CIA drug trafficking hushlings. Was there anything that we should have discussed? Did we turn a blind eye to a shipment? Did we deliver a good midnight climax viewing? Let us know your thoughts on this topic and any other topics that you'd like to discuss with us. You can always reach out to us at our email at contact at hushhushsociety.com. Join us for our next debriefing where we will grab our EMF readers and pack our bags full of sage as we explore some ghost towns from around the world. You can enjoy that debriefing everywhere Monday, July 25th. Another exclusive debriefing will be available next Thursday, July 21st, where we tap into the unknown and explore the phone calls of Charles Peck, who supposedly spoke to those from beyond the grave, only on Patreon Hushlings. We've got two spooky things going on in July. Spooks. Yeah. We're getting yeah. spooks. Nice. Hushtober in July. I like it. <laughs> Tune in on August 15th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for a live debriefing where we will explore the conspiracy iceberg chart for our two-year anniversary. It's going to be a ton of fun. Well, Hushlings and listeners of the Paranormal Network, thank you again for joining another debriefing of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frank Sanders. Shout out Gary Webb. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.